0: Hey, Sarah. What's up?
1: Well, Ethan, I've been getting back into running Dungeons & Dragons, uh, so much so that I almost forgot to come out here to record, because uh, I was editing some notes, and lost track of time, and D&D has consumed my life. But yeah, other than that, not much.
0: Nice. That's funny. I almost forgot to come and record because I was finishing up a bandit camp in Horizon Forbidden West. <laughs> <laughs> the, the video game. Yeah. Or the board game. (laughs) Well, the board game's not out yet. Only the Horizon Zero Dawn board game is out. Different board games.
1: you liking Forbidden West?
0: Forbidden West is really good. I liked Zero Dawn and everything, but Forbidden West is, like, really clicking with me in a way that the first game, like, didn't quite, like, um... Horizon Zero Dawn was a game that, like, I bought when it came out because my wife was really interested in it. But it came out at the same time as Breath of the Wild. And so... I was playing Breath of the Wild constantly, and my wife was playing Horizon constantly. And she was like really, really into it immediately. And I didn't play it until like a few years later. And I played it and was like, that was really good. I liked that. I totally get why you were into it. But that was it, you know? And then when Forbidden West came out, Again, like my wife got it, you know, pretty, pretty immediately and was super into it. And I just got around to starting it. And um, for whatever reason, yeah, I played for like, I got like an hour in or whatever, like, and was just hooked. And it's been all I've been thinking about.
1: Wow, that's impressive. I, I really enjoyed Horizon Zero Dawn. Fran and I both and we were excited for Forbidden West and for some reason we just dropped it and we kind of like the opposite effect that you've had where it's harder to get into and while I I like complex systems that add more interesting things to do they went kind of wild with the weapons (laughs) like (laughs) just the the weird variety between types of weapons and also types of weapons can have a set of elemental damage or type damage and then you get like this weird quantity
0: of weapons and too many weapons it's definitely a, it, there's definitely a lot more like subtypes I guess in that like in the first game it's you've got bows and like yeah there are a few different kinds of bows right there's hunter bows and sharpshot bows and warrior bows or whatever that are all just sort of slight variations on like this one deals more damage but it takes longer to draw this one is less accurate but more powerful etc. And then you had like okay you've got like the sling and the tripcaster and the the ropecaster or whatever and they're all pretty straightforward. And yeah Forbidden West adds so many more layers to all of those where it's like yeah i got a trip or i got a rope caster which like if you're not familiar with these games they're about hunting big robots basically and a rope caster is a weapon type you can equip where you shoot like a rope into an enemy And then attach that rope into the ground. It's like there's a spike on either end of the rope. And so you shoot one spike into a dude and then you jam the other spike in the ground. And once you've hit the enemy with enough ropes, it's like immobilized for a little while because it's like tied down. Right. Um, And then I got a rope caster in Forbidden West that was like, this one doesn't do that um this one really this one is like a spike on one end and then it's the rope but then attached to the rope is like an elemental canister of some kind so you can just basically staple an elemental explosive onto an enemy and then if you shoot that with like the right kind of elemental arrow it blows up and it's like very effective That's cool. yeah and there's like trip casters which like again for people who haven't played these games the the basic version of a trip caster is you shoot the ground in one spot and it shoots a little spiky into the ground and then you shoot in a second spot and it puts down another little spiky and then it has like a trip wire between those two spikes and then you can trick enemies into walking into it and getting hurt.
1: It's weirdly satisfying to set up like it just works really well.
0: Except yes. on the occasion
1: it, it doesn't, it can be a little glitchy.
0: Yeah. And then I got one in Forbidden West that was like, okay, yeah. So it still does basically that, but instead of being a tripwire, it puts up like an energy shield that you can use as cover.
1: Oh, see, we we clearly have not gotten <laughs> like that far into it, or we've just missed it. But that's cool.
0: But here's here's the thing. I have like a good hunter bow, and that's all I ever use. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I was <laughs> getting ready to make that point. I love all these options. I really do. And like Fran will be meticulous. She will she will sneak through the sneak through the grass and throw rocks and scan with her scanner and kind of like watch their routes and like meticulous. And then she'll take the right shot or maybe put some traps down. I realize I almost just want to be playing a first person shooter. <laughs> I'm ready to run and gun. I will leap in there, take the most direct approach and call it a day, which I think it just slows me down having choosing to plan and pick the right equipment and
0: put the right outfit on. It's so it's it's very much like Monster Hunter. I feel like mm. In in a sort of general gameplay sense of, like, there's some kind of big monster. I mean, for a given value of big in Horizon, some of them are... A lot of the machines are, like, between the size of a large dog and a horse. Like, they're not huge. But some of them are super, super big. But it, it's... It's a bit like Monster Hunter in terms of, like, you're kind of, a lot of the time, sort of stalking these different, like, creatures and aiming to disable certain parts. Like, in Monster Hunter, it's like, you know, you want to cut the tail off or break the forearm or whatever, and then... Horizon, it's like you want to shoot the gun off of this creature's back so it can't use that against you. Or you want to, you know, it's got this elemental battery on its tummy. And if you shoot that with like shock ammo, then it'll explode and electrify it and stuff like that.
1: A lot of those systems work really well. I think it's just forbidden West. There's maybe this extra layer of I have to think too hard about what works in this scenario.
0: I don't know that i think is the other kind of monster hunter-y thing about it which is that monster hunter has at this point like 14 weapons and like in rise weapons have like different combos that you can swap out and there are some games where there's like weapon styles for each individual weapon and stuff like that so it's like there's a lot of stuff that you can do And most of the time, people pick one weapon and use that as their main, right? And I feel like, ironically, that's what I have done with Horizon, where, like, Forbidden West, it's like, wow, there's, like, all these different new weapon types. And I've just been like, I have a bow, (laughs) and I can shoot, right, like, this monster's tummy glows, and if I shoot it there, it deals good damage, and that's all I will do forever (laughs) (laughs) but like
1: conceptually i do love these systems i i want them to be there (laughs) and i want to enjoy them maybe i just don't spend as much mental energy on video games as
0: i used to yeah and i will say like i i really do enjoy the combat like i find it super fun to you know snipe parts off of an enemy from afar before it like can move into engagement territory and i like when somebody has like i said uh, a battery on their tummy and i have the right kind of arrow to make it explode um that, that's what this episode's gonna be called a
1: battery on their tummy <laughs> quote of the day
0: Um, all of that stuff is, is fun. But the thing that is like hooking me really, really hard right now is the setting. Mm -hmm. I've like, I've gotten really, really into the setting on this go around. Uh, I think that they've done a really good job of world building. I think it's like a really interesting world. I can see why my wife really likes it. Because I know when she was younger, she got into the Dragon Riders of Pern, uh, fantasy sci-fi novels. Which, for people who haven't read them, on the surface, it is like a fantasy series where people write dragons and stuff. But the more you learn about the history of that setting as you read the books, it like it becomes clear that it's actually like hard sci-fi. And that, like, the dragons were, like, slowly bioengineered over decades by human scientists that were part of, like, this space colony program. And, like, the fantasy world that they're on is just, like, a different planet that humans colonized. And the weird, like, acid rain stuff that is, like, a huge problem is, like a weird meteorological phenomena that they like engineered the dragons to contend with and like all this stuff. like it's it turns out that it's just like real deep sci-fi shit and not <laughs> fantasy as it initially appears which is like kind of horizons vibe oh yeah yeah the first game is
1: the first game really uh hit you with that in like the back half
0: <laughs> mm-hmm but I, just the, the different tribes and their, like, different cultures and stuff, I've just been finding super interesting in Forbidden West. There was a, And they do such a good job of world building and adding these little details. Something that I've appreciated is, like, almost every single person that you talk to has a name even if they only have like two lines and no one ever refers to them by name like Mm. you can see in the subtitles that they are a named character everybody has pretty distinct personalities again like even if they're just there for a side mission there are just enough little details where like i did a side quest the other night where there are these two tribes that are major factions in Forbidden West, there's the Utaru, who are, like, a peaceful agrarian culture, and then there's the Tanakh who are, like, a warrior people, or whatever. And I had this side quest where I found this Utaru guy outside of a cave, and he was like, hey, there are, like, wounded Tanakh people inside, and I want to go help them, but I think, like, They will be pissed off if I go inside. And I'm like, do you guys need help? Because they're like proud warrior people or whatever. And I noticed as I was talking to the dude that like he was wearing clothing very similar to the other Utaru NPCs that I had spoken with. But his like face paint and tattoos were like very different from people from the Utaru tribe. And his face paint in particular looked like Tanakh face paint and a different npc had told me earlier like in a dialogue tree where i had asked more about like the relationship between these two tribes that there had been this like exchange program where <laughs> the utaru would give you know grain and food and stuff to the tanakh in exchange for the tanakh sending like a certain number of, like, veteran warriors to the to live with the Utaru to teach them how to fight and stuff like that. And it was, like, this peace agreement that they'd had for, like, decades or whatever. But it was because of other stuff that has happened in the setting since then, like, it wasn't a thing that happened anymore. And then it was, so I was like, oh, I wonder if, like, this is, like, an older dude. Like, I wonder if that's what's up. And that's what it turned out to be. It was, like, once you talk, once you go into the cave and talk to these people... It comes out very quickly that, like, yeah, this dude was a Tanakh who had been, like, traded to the Utaru as, like, a veteran back, you know, decades ago when this was, like, common practice. And I just thought it was really cool that, like, they've done a good enough job of world building that by talking to this dude and looking at him for, like, a minute, I could intuit that that is what his backstory was.
1: Yeah, that's really good design when it feels so natural, right? Yeah. They ultimately did tell you, but the fact that you didn't need to be told.
0: Yeah. Is a good sign. So that's been, like, everything I've been doing in my free time lately is just, like, (laughs) making sure that I'm finding all of the extra side stuff and doing all the side quests and hunting all the monsters and whatnot, and it's been fun.
1: We... Really need to get back. We being Fran and I uh, really need to get back into Forbidden West. Like, I know it's a good
0: game. I want to play it. It's fun. It has it has like a deceptive opening act where there is a there is a part that I finished and was like, okay, cool. So I'm done. This was like the tutorial, right? Like this was the opening get you accustomed to the game part. And I've finished that, and now I'm like into the big main game. And then, like a couple hours later, when I finished like another quest, I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like hmm. now I'm a past that, <laughs> but like this is the actual start of the game now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's big. But you mentioned D and D dungeons as well as dragons. Tell me more about this, if I must. <laughs> <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. This is some manner of role-playing game on a tabletop, is that correct? Yeah, you you wouldn't have heard of it though.
1: It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty obscure. Yeah, no, I um I've been playing DD uh fairly regularly-ish uh in Fran's game and our friends that are remote uh back where we used to live. But I've finally put together a group here where we live now. And, yeah, I'm starting to DM again. And uh, it's pretty cool. Found some good people. Had one session, session and a half. We immediately had scheduling conflicts, but not for, like, minor reasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's Big just, reasons. That's how D&D goes.
1: <laughs> it, it is. Uh, but they all seem like they want to play weekly... With like one week off every three weeks, which is I've I've not had a group like that.
0: Yeah, that's exciting, and you're a good DM too, so that's that's extra extra fun. I like to think so. Thank you.
1: The problem I'm having though is Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role playing games in general are such a a gateway hobby. So quite a while back, I picked up mini painting. And I've been trying to paint up some miniatures for the sessions that we have. Got a bunch of goblins done, got to put them down on the table. And then I decided I want to try terrain building. So yeah, that's been an all-consuming process.
0: (laughs) What kind of stuff have you made so far?
1: I started really simple and just made some little farm fences out of uh, just like some little square dowels. And then I was like, okay, next I'm going to make some magnetic interlocking tiles. <laughs> and I did, I did. Um, yeah, so that was a pain in the ass because they weren't like thick enough tiles of foam. And then the magnets, I got some sphere magnets. So they like spin around to find oh. uh, each other in the correct, the correct matchup. Yeah. There's words for that. Polarity?
0: you got to make the magnets cast right.
1: Yes, yeah, so now they enthusiastically roll around in their tiles to smooch, yes.
0: See, each magnet has a battery on its tummy. and <laughs> it, was,
1: it was painstaking, though. I'm like, how do magnets work? But yeah, so now I have like five hobbies on top of like one, one hobby is too, just going too crazy.
0: <laughs> I uh I miss, I miss tabletop gaming. I haven't really done much in the last few years. It used to be a fairly big part of my life, I feel like. And uh, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I sort of fell out of it. But I'd like to get back at some point. Yeah, you're supposed to be my Pathfinder guy. Yeah. The
1: vessel through which I get to play Pathfinder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I have pulled out some books to try to brainstorm something to run cuz I do want to do that.
1: Highly recommend it. But maybe don't do everything else on top of it.
0: <laughs> well, see, luckily I don't have like local people to play with, so I won't need to get into mini painting and stuff that's not true i i could put together a group if i uh if i actually bothered to plan but
1: (laughs) well that and you can spend a lot of time in foundry (laughs) (laughs) like you can lose hours to that too if you so choose but you know which is of course what you'd be running a remote game in i'm sure
0: I don't know. I've heard good things about Rule Twenty. It seems seems cool. <laughs> Blasphemy. Seems That's what good. all the all the misled people say. It seems good and cool, and I don't see any problems with it. So it's okay. I'll deprogram you over time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, that would be cool if we could get some uh, some more Pathfinder going at some point. I also mentioned to my group pretty upfront, like, hey. We could play D anD D for a while and then try Pathfinder.
0: I this is I feel like this is a thing that we gotta actually do an episode about at some point. I feel like there is a, such a weird. I'm gonna sound like such a fucking old man <laughs> saying this. It's and it's weird to reflect on the fact that like I kind of am now. I started playing tabletop games 14 years ago, which is a weird, like it doesn't, that doesn't feel like it should be true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I guess is probably how all old people feel about (laughs) their interests. (laughs) Not that I'm old, I'm in my 30s, which is not old, but it's the point where you're allowed to start calling yourself old jokingly, right? (laughs) I think so, yeah. But at any rate, yeah. So this is probably not accurate at all. And it's probably very much like old man yells at cloud type bullshit. But back in my day, (laughs) I feel like I feel like people were less resistant to the idea of trying new systems. And this is purely anecdotal. This is solely what I've seen on like Reddit and in a couple instances with like people that I've talked to, or sort of friend of a friend situations that I've like heard of regarding people's experiences in like trying to introduce a new system to their group or whatever, I, I just feel like there's a lot less variety at tables than there was in my day. Like when I was first starting playing tabletop games. The group that I got into it with, I mean, we were playing fourth edition, 3.5, Pathfinder 1e, Old World of Darkness, New World of Darkness. (laughs) Um, I ran like some Mutants and Masterminds. A friend ran some Big Eye Small Mouth and some Mekton. We did Shadowrun, like, I think fourth and fifth editions eventually, um, if I'm remembering my editions correctly. Just like you got to play Shadowrun, like, twice. <laughs> oh, Shadowrun's so fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, we were... We did a lot of stuff, right? Like, you know, D20 Modern, Star Wars, D20. Like, we did a lot of different stuff, like, just with that one group. And then, you know, in groups outside of that, like, I've done D&D 5e, Pathfinder 2nd Edition like a a small handful of other uh, dread like some uh Mm. monster of the week like some weirdo shit you know it's just like i haven't played them but i've read the rule books for like fate and uh the the marvel multiverse rpg and like i don't know it's just like i think trying new systems is fun and exciting and i see a lot of sentiment i feel like of people being like well why would i do not fifth edition or whatever you know, yeah i you see it most often with the fifth edition, I'm sure because d and d is like the famous one, but it you know in general, like I don't think it's speci- i don't think it's just a d and d problem. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who would be like, well, why would I switch away from Pathfinder and stuff like that as well mm-hmm. um and it's like I don't just try stuff <laughs> it's fun,
1: yeah. I would totally be interested in learning and running different systems. I know, like at least one of my players is very happy with Fifth Edition, and that's Fran. <laughs> she, um, <laughs> yeah, she just she just really likes uh, not just Fifth Edition itself, but the lore, the Forgotten Realms, the the history, and the the races, and the you know just everything about it. It's also her first TTRPG system, so that might play a part.
0: Yeah. I the the reasoning I I generally see is people being like well you know why like my players aren't going to want to like learn a new system or like it's the time investment which I sort of get but also like I don't know there are a lot of like systems out there that are not very rules heavy and you know whatever <laughs> see I'm
1: not I'm not sure I, I would I would want to necessarily invest a lot of time in those systems.
0: Yeah. People should chase their bliss and play what they want to play and all that stuff. Um, and I'm not like shaming. I'm not trying to shame anybody for like not branching out. It's just the, the, the times when it bothers me is when people are trying to like hack 5th edition to do something very specific and it's like you could just play this other game that is built to do that. <laughs> And they're like, no, no, like fifth edition does everything or whatever. And it's like, it will do everything kind of, but there are some things that it doesn't do very good. And there are systems that do do those things a lot better. And you could just play those instead of, and like, that's where like the time investment argument falls apart too, where it's like, you're spending a lot of time trying to break this into doing something that it's not built to do you could just invest that time in reading this other rule book and playing that game.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I see all sorts of uh, posts about like, how can I get this to work for a like space odyssey type game or right. Or like historical fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Like a historical fiction campaign in like the 1800s London or something Mm -hmm. uh, with like werewolves and guns. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that's happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it's just like, yeah, it's like you can make D&D do that if you want to. But it's like you could also just pick up Monster of the Week and use that because it's built to do stuff like that. Or if you want to play a space opera RPG, like you could just pick up Starfinder. (laughs) Like, if you want to, do you want to do like a, a cool like cyberpunk thing but keep all the elves and orcs and stuff like don't spend a bunch of time hacking dnd 5th edition apart when you could play shadow run <laughs> like yeah
1: although I'm, I'm sure there are many ways to approach shadow run in terms of its complexity like trim out the things you don't care about but shadow run is dense <laughs> it is very
0: dense i uh. i <laughs> I adore Shadowrun. I fucking love Shadowrun. I've had some of my favorite sessions I've ever run have been in Shadowrun. I like, I can vividly remember like a four hour session where like not a die was rolled. It was the start of the session was me laying out that this was what the group had been hired for and they just. They planned this elaborate heist on a decommissioned aircraft carrier in the ocean. And they had to call in all these favors and talk to all these old NPCs from prior sessions yeah. and dig into their contacts that they had from character creation. And like, it was just like an afternoon of like all roleplay and planning. And it kicked ass. And it. It built up to something though, like all that role playing yes. wasn't just
1: wasn't just like puttering around town, saying hi to the friend, the NPCs, and buying stuff. It was, like, it had a purpose.
0: Yes, uh, I love that game. That said, it is a real son of a bitch to learn. I will grant that. I <laughs> uh, I have a friend who is well known for uh, taking a really long time to build characters. Like it will take him four to six hours to build like a fifth edition character because he will just pour over every possible way to do the thing. Shadowrun will take him days <laughs> to get a character sheet done. Like, I mean, that's fair.
1: You you really have to find the people who want to be there for it to work. Like, yeah. With D&D, it's fairly easy for there to be the, like, wallflower players who just want to hang out with friends and roll dice. I think I have one of those at my table. They joined late in that they weren't there for session zero, but they've been there since. And I'm like, here's some backstory ideas if you want to, like, work with that. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I love it. And then I sent some questions and they, it was like, not much was there, right? the idea of asking this person to like fill out your contact history and <laughs> like organizations that you're a part of and like no I would never ask them that <laughs> cuz no uh and, and so you, you just need people who want to play that kind of game yeah for sure and read rules
0: yeah yeah if anybody listening is, like, a, a Wallflower player who just wants to hang out with friends and is, like, cool throwing some dice in the process of doing that, that is a totally cool and valid way to approach a tabletop game. But oh, absolutely. But f- for the love of God, do everyone in your group a favor and play, like, a fighter or a barbarian. Don't play a caster, is what I'm getting at. Because I've played in games that had players like that who were, like, wizards and... There's like nothing that grinds a game more to a halt than that player realizing that it's their turn and going, Oh, um, yeah, let me see what I want to do. And then reading all of their spell cards and being like, I think I wanna cast this one, and then not understanding how cast how to actually cast that, or not like really getting how their like spell slot economy works and that they can't cast that anymore because they already did this other thing oh yeah um and that kind of stuff (laughs) like
1: okay so i like absolutely do not want to disparage anyone and i totally agree like if if that's the type of way you want to play great idea going with the more simple marshals or like a warlock half caster
0: yeah totally
1: but like this person is playing a cleric and at first they didn't realize that like the gods legitimately exist and that mm-hmm. their cleric must have one <laughs> you know be associated with one so that was that was one thing just to kind of like talk through and uh, fortunately her friend fielded that for me but the just not understanding how spells work in terms of action economy like action bonus action cantrip versus level it just feels bad when players are excited to do something and I'm like, that's cool, but that's an illegal combination and just, you just can't. And because they either haven't looked at the rules at all or haven't processed the rules, I, I just think it must feel like not fun, especially yeah. if it happens a lot. They, they wanted to helpfully cast protection against evil. I suddenly can't remember the name of it, uh, but it's like aberrations, fey, fiends, undead mm-hmm. is what it affects. And they were fighting goblins. And so I just outright said, like, that won't do anything here. <laughs> and it just, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is, like, they're doing great, but it's, I feel like such a jerk sometimes.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, if you, it, it's totally fine for the tabletop game to be like a low investment thing from your end that you are doing because mostly because you want to hang out with the other people there. But like yeah there are there are classes and methods of play that require high investment out of the player. So like if you know that you don't want to put that level of investment into it, that's fine. Just think about that like like you should be upfront with about that. I feel like when you're like setting up your your character so that you can get somebody get a character that is not like Demanding more of you than you actually want to, like, put into the game.
1: Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point. Uh, it's something I should have considered. I feel like the whole Session Zero approach kind of fell apart <laughs> because everyone but the fighter actually changed their character completely from what we talked about <laughs> in Session Zero. And then we got that new person who wasn't there for Session Zero. And, um, like, Franz I knew very early because I live with her and she told me, uh, that like like the next day, and then the other two it was a little prologue episode to fill the slot while one of our players was out of town, and so two of them built new character sheets to bring to this specific like kind of one off session, and then both of them kept those characters to carry into the campaign. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'm like it's fine. It's just funny, yeah, what I would have liked to have done is ask seriously to everyone will you read the rules like have you read the rules or will you read the rules and if their answer is no well that kind of sucks actually but if their answer is no and I don't want them to leave then I'll be like all right we'll play a fighter (laughs) like yeah yep that being said I have a really good table so far based on my one full session
0: (laughs) Yeah, I need to I need to put together a Pathfinder game. Could be could be a lot of fun. I bet. <laughs> sure, would be nice to play it. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> all of my all of my tabletop energy for the past little while has gone into board and card games. I've become a real board and card game kind of guy.
1: You really have. There have been long texts. board games i have never heard of i don't mind at all but like very much uh i've lost track of the board games other than horizon that one like i know what horizon is so that translates really well
0: yeah yeah so we're recording this in like mid-january so it was christmas like fairly recently right And one of the gifts that I ordered for my wife for Christmas, I knew when I ordered it that it was probably going to be late because the delivery range was like December 18th through like January 3rd or something. It was like a huge date range. So I figured like, eh, yeah, it's probably not going to get here in time. But it was a thing that I knew that she like really wanted and... It was also, like, sort of hard to get. Um, it was a book that's, like, out of print. And so I was like, you know, she's won't mind if it's a bit late because she'll just want to have it. Then it ended up, like, not getting here by January 3rd or whatever, either. It just kind of seemed like, okay, this isn't actually going to arrive. Um, and I'm probably just going to need to get a refund. So then I was like, well then I should get like a replacement gift. Right. And as I noted earlier, my wife is like really into Horizon, like uh, she imprinted on that game, you know, <laughs> like, and I knew that there was a Horizon Zero Dawn board game because I'd seen it in board game stores. And I didn't really know much about it, but I was like, well, you know, she really likes Horizon. We both like playing board games. Thanks to you, Sarah. We've like started to kind of get into painting minis. And I knew that this had a bunch of cool minis of all the different machines. So I thought, you know, this will be cool. Uh, and we'll we'll get a bunch of cool minis. Like she recently the the comic shop in my town has it like opened somewhat recently and they're still sort of stocking up. And so a bunch of the stuff in there is just like random nerd collectibles that like employees brought in to like have stuff on the walls. Mm -hmm. And one of them is there's a, there's a machine in Forbidden West called the Tremor Tusk. That's like a big robot elephant. And I guess when Forbidden West came out, If you bought like the legendary ultra super collectors edition at GameStop, it had like a giant tremor tusk like figurine. And so they had that at this comic shop. And my wife was like, is that for sale? (laughs) And they were like, uh, like the owner was like, I don't, I don't know, I would need to like call the dude who's it is. (laughs) so he he did and they like worked out a price and he was like uh yeah it's for sale for like this much or whatever and so my wife bought it and it's sitting up on our bookcase now oh that's awesome um, i
1: thought for sure that wasn't gonna happen or it was gonna be like a large sum of money
0: um it wasn't a not large sum of money but it also <laughs> it was christmas time so we had a bunch of you know christmas money and uh she got like a bonus at work and stuff so it was like oh nice within you know it was it was a reasonable enough amount that yeah she bought it so just with that in mind like well we've already got like one cool big horizon creature now we could get a bunch of them (laughs) with this board game yeah she was like that so I, there was a bundle on Amazon that was like the core box of the Horizon board game and one of the expansions, because there's a bunch of expansions that add new machines and playable characters and stuff. And uh, so I got that that bundle and uh, yeah, we've been playing a bunch of that. I feel guilty because it was a gift that I got for her and then <laughs> I'm like such a, fucking like feral raccoon when it comes to board games that like it got here and I like tore it open and like read all the rules back to front and looked at all the cards and was like got completely hyper fixated and obsessed with it and made an Amazon list of all the expansions so that we could like check them off as we get them and I'm like you know we need to have all of this right now and then I was thinking well this was the Horizon Zero Dawn board game I wonder if they put out a new edition for Forbidden West. And so I Googled that and it turns out that like literally just a couple months ago, like late November to early December, there was a Kickstarter for the Forbidden West version that like uses the same basic system, but is like, has some slight tweaks and everything. And if you back the Kickstarter, then you get a special little bundle thing that has, you know, upgraded versions of, like, the cards and stuff of the Zero Dawn uh, machines so that you can use those minis and rules and stuff in the new version. And I was like, damn, this looks even better than the Zero Dawn version. But sadly, the Kickstarter was over. But it was recent enough that they were like, you can still lay pledge on our website. So we did that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nice. So next May, when that finally fulfills, uh, we will have a shitload of new stuff. But yeah, I feel a little guilty because I became immediately obsessed with this board game. And now, like, it was her Christmas present. And earlier today, she asked what I wanted for valentine's day because that's coming up and i was like well i do kind of want the thunder Joe expansion for horizon zero town
1: <laughs> well at least she benefits from that <laughs> still
0: yeah but it's it's really fun i definitely like panicked after ordering it because then i was reading reviews and getting real in my head about like, I don't know, this person says like that it's like too easy and this person says that it's like repetitive or whatever, but all of them are sort of just reviewing the base game and it has like a bunch of expansions that I assume probably address that. And they do. And, like based on the one expansion that we actually have, it like upped the game or it upped the difficulty pretty significantly and has like several new machines and like different characters that play very differently. And it's it's fun. It's just a little like, sort of tactical combat tabletop thing, where you control a little hunter who has like a unique deck of cards, and you just run around on a run around on a grid and fight robots, and it's lots of fun. And it has cool minis. I really need to check that out.
1: I say that about a lot of things. I just <laughs> I haven't gotten to most of them, but. That might be the game that Fran actually would enjoy for a board game using the co-op rules, using like the non-co-op yeah. rules.
0: Yeah, yeah, because the, the base game is presented as being semi-cooperative, where you are all working together to hunt robots, but every time you like get a kill or do certain other things, you earn a glory point. And whoever has the most glory at the end is like the actual winner and stuff. But there is a there is a variant in the rulebook that's like, hey, you can ignore that. And essentially, instead of earning like anytime you would earn a glory, you can instead like shuffle that many cards from your discard pile back into your deck, which is like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, like your your deck is your health also. It's like when you run out of cards, you die. So it's like a it turns it into like a healing mechanic um which is really helpful against like harder enemies and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, just removes the competitive element entirely. It does say that you can choose to like still take glory because there are certain characters who have abilities that you can spend glory to, like, improve. So you can still take glory uh, instead of healing if you are a character who can, like, use glory in other ways. But there's only, like, a handful of those. We haven't actually played them yet. But I know there's one in the core box, and there's a couple in expansions, I think. But hmm. That's a cool mechanic, too. I like that. yeah. Yeah, it's super fun. I We've played two, like, hunts, which a hunt is, like, five sessions, basically. And after each, each individual session, you, like, go to the merchant where you can, like, buy supplies with salvage that you got from hunting because every time you, like, defeat a machine, you get a certain number of salvage. Different characters can have special abilities that can up the amount of salvage that they get and stuff like that. And then you can use that to, like, buy new gear at the merchant. Uh, You, like, level up after certain sessions and add new cards to your deck or get new, like, special abilities or whatever, depending on your character and all that. It's fun. I, I really dig it, and I... Desperately want more machines to fight. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way you've outlined it and
1: just talking about it in general makes me think that the Horizon world would make for a really great TTRPG. And they're already like
0: a quarter of the way there. This is a huge part of why I've been really obsessed with it and particularly like locking into the world building lately. Is like, I have not been able to stop thinking about that specifically.
1: <laughs> mm. yeah, I mean, there's the minis. They already have the idea of you're playing a character that isn't Aloy. There is all that lore and world building and setting that they already have. They've already established some types of abilities that characters might be able to have. I mean, that'd be really cool to run around in and kind of, now I say this having not actually played that many TTRPGs, but kind of unique seeming that you have these. Not fantasy monsters, but machines.
0: Yeah, it's I've been thinking so much about how it would probably be really easy to translate. So the way that machines work in the board game is you have like kind of one like tarot sized card that has The general information about the machine, right? It's health, it's armor, how much salvage you get for killing it, any special abilities. It has any, like, special components that it has, because several machines have, like, when you attack the machine, you can choose to just target the machine itself, like the main body, or you can choose to target a specific component, which will have, like, less health But you have to, like, destroy it all in one go, basically. And doing so usually, like, disables one of its special attacks or, like, something like that. Which is really cool because, like, that's how it works in the video game, too. But then, in terms of what the machines do on, like, their turn, basic machines just have one card that says, like... It will usually ask a yes or no question, right? It'll say, like, is there a player character within one square of this enemy? If yes, then it will move one towards that character and attack for this much damage. If no, it will do this other thing instead, right? Okay. And so simple machines, that's it. They just, you set that card out. Every time that machine activates, it does that card. Larger, more complex machines, who maybe have several components or whatever, will have a deck. So you shuffle that up, and then every time it activates, you draw from that deck, and maybe it will do a ranged attack. Maybe it will charge you for, like, several spaces of movement and then attack if you're in range. Maybe it will... There's, like, a... a, alligator guy called a snap maw that can like grab you and drag you into the water and like stuff like that yeah
1: this sounds both like ttrpg combat and more interesting than ttrpg combat
0: well i just keep thinking like it'd be so easy to translate this into like pathfinder second edition specifically where it's like yeah like for three actions it can do this for two actions it can do this like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and like the way the components work would translate really easily to the tabletop because it's just like again it's just like a thing like you can do a called shot or whatever right and uh if you deal enough damage then it, it breaks that thing and etc takes away one of their actions or whatever like it would work very
1: easily <laughs> i think I, unfortunately, whenever you said simple machines, I was imagining, like, a lever or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I really enjoy it. I, I have discovered that I are really, like, trap-based characters. So, like, every character has a ranged weapon and a melee weapon. And... Most ranged weapon... Like, most characters, their default ranged weapon is just, like, a bow, right? But the first one I played, his ranged weapon, was a trip caster, which, as we described earlier, is that, like, thing that lays out a trip wire for you to trick enemies into to step on. So, I was playing that guy, and Caitlyn was playing, like, the Nora scavenger or whatever that is, like... Mm-hmm the core box character that is like the kind of basic all around, nothing super fancy, clearly like Aloy, but not calling her Aloy kind of character. Right. So she was like hiding in the grass and like shooting at enemies and like knocking their components off and stuff. And I was the, uh, the Osaram forge Smith who is like the trap based character in the core box. And so I like could not do ranged attacks because my ranged weapon was just the trip caster, which was just like lay a trap in your square or an adjacent one. And then if an enemy enters that square, the trap activates, depending on what kind of trap it is, something happens to them. You know, there's shock traps that deal a little bit of damage, but apply the shocked condition that does something on the enemy's turn or there's blast traps that just deal a shitload of damage, etc. So my whole deal was that I would just charge directly at the enemy, lay a trap, and then my melee weapon was a big-ass hammer, and I had a bunch of melee cards that were like, if you deal damage with this attack, you can move the enemy one space. Oh, So I would So Caitlin was, like, hanging back, like, knocking components off of people so they couldn't do their big attacks and, like, getting a shitload of salvage and stuff with her, like, specialty cards. And I was just, like, getting up in everyone's face and laying, like, three traps at a time and throwing enemies into them and, like... that's That's just not how I
1: would expect like a trap-based character to operate (laughs) like you can lay in wait or or lead them over you know maybe using uh, the Nora character as bait and they run into the trap I just yeah just shove them into the trap they just (laughs) like
0: so that's the that's the thing so like that's how the Forge Smith plays and he also like depending on how you level him up he can get really good at like dealing fire damage specifically and like all this other stuff But then the second hunt that we played, we were using the expansion that we got. So we were playing the two new characters from that and hunting machines from that. There are eight expansions. Well, there's actually 10, but one of them is Kickstarter exclusive. And one of them is like about bandits instead of machines. So like, who even cares? Because you're not getting a cool machine mini. Mm -hmm. So there's four expansions that are just one giant, like super boss monster. Um, and then there are four expansions that are a handful of smaller monsters and two new characters. And each of those four expansions are based on like a specific tribe from zero dawn. So there's the Asuram, the Karja, the Banuk and the Nora. Uh, so the bundle that I got came with the Nora expansion. When we played as those characters, caitlin I don't remember what her character was called, but it was, like, even more focused on getting, like, a shitload of salvage and, like, specifically targeting components. Like, she was doing that with her initial character just sort of, like, uh, because it's fun and interesting to, like, target specific stuff. But she had a bunch of, like, specialty cards with this second character that was, like, clearly built around, like, rip all of the components off of this guy and get, like, way more salvage than you normally would and all this stuff. Whereas I was, like, the Nora Trapper, another trap-based character. But with that character, I did have a bow. I just also had, like, a special type of trap that, like, no other character that we have currently can do. Where it's not based on a ranged weapon, it's just like, I can take the set trap action instead of using a ranged attack action to lay a trap. That character is like way more about stealth. Like, they're special, every character has a special innate ability. And so that character's special innate ability is that you can use a distract action for free on every single one of your turns. You throw a rock yes exactly yeah like a distract action is just like pick any square within two squares of where you are and pick it a single enemy like in that same radius the enemy moves one square towards the square that you chose okay all right yeah so with that character like it was all about like put down a trap run over into tall grass where they can't see me then use my free distract action to make them just walk into the trap. And as you level up, you can get abilities where it's like, you can use the distract action even if an enemy is already alerted to you, or you can lay a trap as a free action on your turn. Oh, man. I got cards from leveling up that were called like, We Got One, which is like, if an enemy triggers a trap and they are within two squares of you, you can immediately move into their square and do a melee attack. So, like, I could set yeah. up my turn where it was like, yeah, like, I lay a trap over here, I move over here, I use my distract action to make them move into the trap, and then I play this card that triggers off of them activating the trap, or I run over and melee them also. Like, it was super fun, and, like, very different from the Osram guy, who was just like, he has a shitload of health, and he can just run in and bash people to death with his hammer. <laughs> just bully you into the trap. Right, exactly. Whereas this character was just, like, a lot squishier. Uh, like, I almost died a bunch because I was like, I I need to actually set up the field before I start attacking. I need to have several traps out instead of just, okay, I lay a trap and then I immediately hit them with a the hammer into it. Um, like, even though they're both yeah. trap characters, they played a lot differently.
1: I need to know, at any point, did you say... You activated my trap card.
0: Of course, I did, Sarah. What are you taking okay. me for? <laughs> uh, I just had to be sure. Yeah, it's it's very fun, and I'm super excited for the, like the new version that's coming out because that version is just fully co-op. They've taken out the competitive elements. There's more customization. Like there's more opportunity, like, uh, in Zero Dawn, you level up, like, three times over the course of a hunt. And in Forbidden West, it's, like, a whole, like, long narrative campaign where you, like, level up a lot more, you have a lot more opportunities Mm. to, like, customize your deck, like... They are so close
1: (laughs) to having a TTRPG,
0: Just (laughs) loose in tandem. Forbidden West is... Definitely leaning way more in that direction. And what I thought was interesting, because like I said, I'm just like hyper fixated on this right now. I read every like update to both the Forbidden West Kickstarter and the original Zero Dawn Kickstarter. Just to like read everything that they had to say about mechanics and like game design and all that stuff. And it was really funny to go back and read the Zero Dawn stuff where... I mentioned that there's one Kickstarter exclusive expansion to the Zero Dawn version of the board game, which is, like, a story-based expansion where it's, like, instead of playing the normal way, there's a, like, deck of story cards and you are playing as, like, Aloy and friends. Oh, okay. It's specifically recreating, like, the final mission, I think, of Zero Dawn. Hmm. But reading the like Kickstarter update where they announced that they were like, yeah, when we first sat down with Guerrilla Games, uh, which for those who don't know is like the developers of Horizon Zero Dawn, it's like when we first sat down with them to like discuss turning it into a board game, uh, they were like, we want to do like a cool like narrative focused co- cooperative board game, but we were like, no, we want to do this like semi-competitive thing and stuff and that's uh, so we eventually like found this it was very funny to read that and then like look at the Forbidden West one uh where yeah. all of the Kickstarters language is like people liked the Zero's Onboard game but the feedback we got was that people really wanted it to be narrative focused and fully cooperative <laughs> <laughs> Gorilla knew what was up <laughs> right that's awesome yeah yeah, it, it's been a blast. I've been I've been all about that. And also I'm obsessed with the the card game Marvel Champions. And I recently caught up on Hero Packs for that. So now I'm all good to go until March when the next box comes out. <laughs> but there's there's this company. There, so there's a shitload of Marvel Champions cards at this point. Like it's been coming out since 2020, 2019, somewhere in there. And, you know, they have hero packs and villain packs and box, big box expansions and stuff. So there's a lot of cards and you kind of need to have them separated out into specific piles, right? Because it's like, you need all of us given heroes cards like together because they're an important part of that character's deck or whatever. But there's dozens of characters now and... You need to have every, like, villain's scenario cards together. And there are modular encounter sets that you can add to villain scenarios. And so you need to keep all those together. Tedious. <laughs> so, I mean, not if you are a big, big nerd like me who likes organizing their card collections. <laughs> but the, the point being... It's like a mini game. Yeah, exactly. There's a company called Tesseract Games that sells these really nice, like, labeled card dividers for Marvel Champions, and I need to get all of those, because I finally, uh, a friend of mine, bought a bunch of card dividers, and they bought, like, in bulk, and so they had a bunch left over, and so they were like, do you want to use these to, like, organize your champion stuff better? Because I've just had them in a box, and I was like, yeah, that would be great. So now they're kind of organized, but... I do want to get these very pretty, like specifically labeled card dividers that this company sells.
1: That would be cool. It sounds like it sounds like the people who made Marvel Champions could just be selling those themselves and making money off of it. But you know, <laughs> never mind. Like it almost seems necessary.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think we meant to say at the top of the episode, and we kind of didn't because. Uh, we started, we did initially, but then we goofed around a bunch and probably cut all of that. But listener, you may have noticed that this was just sort of a chill, unfocused episode about what the two of us have been up to lately. And uh, that was just something that we wanted to do because we hit 10 episodes recently. Like our last episode was episode 10, right? So we're in double digits. I don't think either of us Woo, We did it. really thought that we would stick with it that long
1: but we did we are both chronically uh like non-committal yeah Yeah. it's it's a problem but we did make it so yeah
0: yeah so this is our victory lap where we didn't we didn't need to have a serious topic that we had deep thoughts on we could just talk about that's for next episode yeah (laughs) yeah get ready for that one that's gonna be a doozy (laughs) <laughs> we've got some some ones coming up i mean we got that episode is going to be a big one we've been talking about some other potential topics uh there's a movie that we're going to talk about soon that i think will lead to some interesting conversation a couple movies actually because i remember the other day that we talked about watching lake Mungo also and i i would love to hear your take on Lake Mungo. That's a weird movie.
1: I should have recollection of that. <laughs> I mean, if you say so. Yeah, sounds yeah sounds good. The first movie you're thinking of, I'm probably gonna have some like what the. She's always entertaining, in, in my
0: opinion. Probably, I want to do that director's entire filmography over the course of episodes. Because it, it's not very extensive. He's, he did four movies. And an anime series.
1: Uh, Satoshi Kon,
0: Kon? Yeah, Satoshi Kon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we're being so coy. The episode will come out mm. at some point. It's Perfect Blue. <laughs> we're going to talk about Perfect Blue. Yeah. I'm looking forward Yeah, me too. I, I rewatched it over the weekend and had a good time. But yeah. Yeah. This episode, fun, easy, chill.
1: Uh, Hopefully, to our two to three listeners, this was entertaining. And maybe one of them that I know maybe just picked up a new board game. (laughs) He's a board game guy, him and his wife. Is it me? What? No. (laughs) Oh, you are a listener, I guess. Do listen to some of the
0: episodes. I'm a board game guy, me and my wife, and I listen sometimes. (laughs) No, you already have the board game. (laughs) (laughs) But I could have more of it your
1: viewership is not part of my metrics (laughs) well this has been fun it has what a deadpan way to say that (laughs) what what fun this has been
0: (laughs) I had a grand old time me too Only 90s kids will get this episode. (laughs) Gosh. It's
1: like those YouTube videos that are like, lo-fi music for witches only. I'm like, what? And then I think people are parodying it because I see things like lo-fi music for bears only. (laughs) It's just like
0: weird. (laughs) We we should absolutely... Title this episode we should cut all of this, but then title the episode Lo-Fi Music for Witches. <laughs> 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 <laughs>